uh, amongst us, God wanting to do more in his people and more uh, in the world and more amongst us particularly. And I want to declare today, I, st- I believe that the best is yet to come. A few of you are confident of that. The best is yet to come. I believe that. I believe that that's true. And I've noticed in life that there are two groups of people who enjoy getting older. If you've noticed this too. But it seems that the very young and the very old enjoy getting older. They enjoy this, ex- this excitement about the best being yet to come and celebrating their age. And the way I tell that is because those two groups of people count their ages in half years. Have you noticed? If you ask a little child how old they are, they might say, I'm three and a half. And if you ask a very old person, they might say, I'm 103 and a half. And the half's a great achievement, isn't it? They're, they're, they're kind of holding on to life as best they can and celebrating every day. And it's, I've made it. Aren't, aren't I clever? And there's a kind of sense of enjoyment of life and looking forward to what's to come. In the middle, age gets a bit fuzzy, doesn't it? Uh, maybe we don't celebrate birthdays in quite, with quite the same vigor that you do at the beginning and the end of life. Uh, and may, some of us are starting to try and forget our ages now, conveniently. I, I did actually ac- completely accidentally have a year when I, I thought I was a year older than I actually was. <laughs> Genuinely. It's got to me already. And uh, it wasn't until the next birthday came around that I got a pleasant surprise that I'd already thought I'd done that year, and it was still to come, so it was great. Um, <laughs> Amnesia is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, but in our family, we, the reason I've got a picture of a cinema up here is because in our family, we've always been quite um, strict, I suppose, about film ratings in our house. And uh, kind of, so if it was a, a 12 rating, the boys had to wait until they were 12 to be able to see it, 15, wait until they were 15 to be able to see it, 18s we don't bother with, um, for obvious reasons. Um, but... So what happened, actually, was this, we didn't realize we'd be doing this, but it kind of created this sense of anticipation about the day that the birthday came. And, and films got linked to birthdays. And we've had some great good fun. It's become a rite of passage in our home, I suppose, where, I can't remember what the films were. I've got a couple written down to remind me. Things like maybe the Bourne films or Lord of the Rings uh, for, for 12s or Gladiator or Matrix, those sort of films for 15s. And the kind of the moment would come when we could sit down together and watch the film. And it was this... This sense just before then that the best was yet to come. That there was something that you couldn't quite do before the birthday, but once the birthday came, you could. And it's exciting. It's much more exciting than the, the other things you can do when you get to those ages. When you get to 16, I think you can buy scissors. I mean, that's not a great rite of passage, is it? You know, come on, son, let's go to the shop. Let's buy your first pair of scissors. It's not quite the same. Uh, but anyway, it worked for us in our family, and so that's what... We, we used to do, and it created this sense that the best was still to come. And today I want to link to that sense that we had, all of us, I think, when we were younger, that the best was still to come, that whatever we'd had, the best was still ahead. And I want to see one specific example from history and a statement of Jesus to demonstrate today this truth, I believe, that the best is still to come. And it's a story of disappointment, and it's a story of what God can do in disappointment. We're going to read from Haggai. If you actually have a paper Bible, uh, they're sometimes harder to navigate than apps are, but if you have a paper Bible, it's one of the little 12 uh, minor prophets uh, towards the back of the Old Testament. Uh, Haggai. But the verses will be on the screen for you if you want to just read them there. And the story goes like this. In the second year of King Darius... On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet 
Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel. And it goes on, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. It's a great passage. And this is a story from a time in the Bible when things have gone horribly wrong. The story about the nation of Israel, as you can probably tell. They're God's people, they've had their own land, their promised land that God had told them it would be theirs. They've built cities, they've lived in the land for many years, they've built a temple. They've worshipped God there and they've had some amazing times worshipping God in the temple and around there and just fulfilling the pattern of life that God called them to. And then it's all gone, this story comes after it's all gone horribly wrong. In five 86 BC, so 586 before Christ came, uh, something's gone terribly wrong. And Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king, has come and he's ransacked what's left of Israel at that point. And he's taken people away to Babylon, which is where Iraq is now, and he's taken people to that land and destroyed the temple, taken away its treasures. And so what you've got left is a, a shell of a temple, a nothing left people deported to a foreign land and in absolute turmoil, devastation, disappointment. A few years after that, 539 BC, that's obviously the numbers are counting down, but we're getting closer to the time Jesus was born. 586, they get taken away. 539 BC, a guy called Cyrus comes and he takes over Babylon and and he kind of sweeps through Babylon and, and destroys it, destroys Nebuchadnezzar's land and takes control. And and Cyrus has this policy which is recorded in the Old Testament, but also recorded on other bits of archaeology that we have. uh, His policy is to send captured peoples back to their homelands and to inhabit their own homelands. So 539, 538, that sort of time, Cyrus issues a decree and sends the initial group of the people of Israel back to their homeland to go back to Judah, to inhabit it again. And they go back and The books in the Bible of Ezra and Nehemiah are written about this time, and they begin to build houses and cities and get settled again. They begin to build, and and they begin to lay the foundations of the temple. And so once the temple foundations have been laid, they begin to live in the land again. And this this story is picking up on this theme of what's been happening. Actually, I'll go back to the first verse there. It's very accurate and precise, this book of Haggai. It says at the beginning, In the second year of King Darius... On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel. So they've been in the land for probably 20 years. I didn't mention Darius, but he's come and he's defeated Cyrus. So anyway, basically, if you're trying to keep up with the history, Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes them to Babylon. Cyrus comes, bashes Nebuchadnezzar. Darius comes, bashes Cyrus. 
and then we've got Darius, Darius on the throne. So basically, he's the king. And this date that we've got here is actually, according to my notes, it is October the 17th, 520 BC. It's quite precise. So this word of the Lord came to, Zer- came to Haggai, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, October 17, 520 BC. That's the history. That gets us to this point. But I'm saying all that just to show the kind of disappointment that these people are living with. They're living with unfulfilled promises. They're living with broken dreams. They're living with the shell of a temple. And we're going to hear about the house that Haggai is talking about. And it's disappointing. As they started building the temple, started laying the foundations and establishing it, there are, it's a time of mixed emotion because the previous one, this previous place where they worshipped God had been hugely impressive. Solomon's temple, enormous, elaborate. This great building that had stood for, for generations and it was a, a, an amazing place. And the historian Ezra records that when they laid the foundation of this temple, there was two sounds that could be heard. One was the sound of cheering from the people as they were celebrating. The other was the sound of weeping and wailing from the older priests, the older people who remembered the temple in its former glory. And as the, some were celebrating, yeah, we've got the temple, it's coming back again. Others were just weeping because what they saw was so disappointing. Challenging story. It's a time when past glories have gone. And they're disappointed. And you know, some of us might be in that position too where things are not as we remember them, where things are not as we hoped for, as we, the things are not as we imagined. Andy joked and asked if any, uh, how much we'd thought of going on a run today, the half marathon that happens to be running. I don't know if any of you have ever run. I've tried a bit. I'm not very good at it, but I've tried a little bit. I've tried, I enjoy cycling a bit more. I enjoy walking even more. Um, but I'm one of those people who sometimes thinks I've got further ahead than I have. You ever had this? You go for a cycle ride, you go up a hill or a long walk or a run, and you get, uh, get out of breath and you think, oh, I must be so far. I must have gone so far by now. Uh, and you look back and you oh, I've not gone that far at all, really. And particularly if you're planning a, a route up a mountainside and you're going up a mountain and across and down the other side and, and you look on the map after you've climbed up and up and up and stopped and up and up again and you got to what you think is the top and it isn't the top and you, you think, oh, oh, I'm just there. And I've got all this route still to do. And sometimes in life you can get to a point where you think, I thought I would be further ahead than I am. How many of you have done this? You think, I thought I would have been further ahead by now than I actually am. I've not got as far as I thought I would have done. I hadn't imagined that life would look like this at this point. And we come with disappointment. And these people are in this situation. And God's word is coming to them in that place of disappointment. And God says to them this, Does this house look like nothing to you? Now be strong, Zerubbabel. Now be strong. Why Why does God say be strong? Because when disappointment comes, the best is still to come, but we have to be strong to break out of our disappointment sometimes. Disappointment is such a powerful emotion that we can be so trapped in it, so caught up in it, that unless we are strong and hold on to God's word and put a determined effort in to turn to faith, Hurt and disappointment can cause us to shrink back. And, and it's a natural response to pain. Many of us have done this, where you touch something hot and, and you go like that and you shrink back. Well, it's a natural response to pain. 
But what you're not meant to do when you've been hurt is to stay in that position of being coiled up and retreated. You're meant to advance again. And so God's word is going to come and say, Zerubbabel, be strong. Zerubbabel's the sort of next in line to the throne. He's actually a descendant of the king, and he's back governing this, this land of Judah. Be strong, Zerubbabel. So the best is yet to come, even when there's disappointment. Secondly, I want us to see this, that the best is yet to come because God is with us. God is still with us. The word of God says this, I am, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm with you. I've not left you. My spirit remains among, among you. It's easy to conclude, having looked at your circumstances, that God has left you. I want to encourage you today that he hasn't. No matter how bad it seems, if your heart is open towards God, he hasn't left you. He's not walked out on you. And even if you're resisting him and saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you, God is still open towards you. Somebody shared a thought in our prayer time this morning, a reminder of the prodigal son story. And this is a story Jesus tells, where when a son has run away, and spent all his dad's money, and comes back again with his tail between his legs, expecting to have to ask to work as a servant, actually, he finds that his dad is running towards him. He finds that his dad is waiting for him. And that's the story that I want to tell you today, to, to show that actually, even if you think you've, you've blown it, even if you think you've turned away from God, God is still wanting more to know you more, and you to know him more. There have been times in my life when I've looked at my circumstances and I've, and I've asked the question, God, what's going on? What's going on? Maybe it was when Judith and I experienced the miscarriage. Maybe that was certainly one time when I said, God, what are you doing? What's happening? How do I, how do I navigate this? There was another time when I remember going to the funeral of a cousin of mine. And he, he died in very difficult circumstances. And I remember in the, the, the kind of wake thing or the, the kind of gathering after the funeral, I was there as a pastor of a church and my, my cousin wasn't a Christian. His family weren't Christians. Um, and my aunt gr- kind of caught me in the middle of this crowd. We were right in the middle of this room with everybody pressing around us. And she said in quite a loud voice, Stuart, he's gone to heaven, hasn't he? And I did answer out of compassion and love as best I could. But I didn't know exactly what was going on in that moment. There are times you look around in your circumstances and you wonder what's going on. My own parents got divorced. I wondered what was going on at that time. I didn't have an answer. don't know how to deal with that. don't know how to unpack that and work out what God's doing in that at the time. Different things happening in life that you just cause you to look at your circumstances. And if you just stayed looking at your circumstances, you might get disappointed. But I want to tell you today that there is a God who's bigger than your circumstances. There's a God who's greater. There's a God who's greater from my own family situation. There's a God who's greater than your pain and your disappointment. There's a God who has an answer for life. And his presence with us is is the answer that we need. His presence being with us is so powerful and so amazing that he not only brings comfort, but he does bring hope. I remember being at Bible college myself. We've heard from two Bible college students today. I remember being at Bible college, getting the news that another of my cousins had, had died. She was 16. She'd gone to have a tooth out. 
and never woke up after the anesthetic. It's not easy, no, it's no easy answer for that, for her family, for, for me, for others. There's no easy answer for a 16-year-old and, and my family grieving for her loss and me grieving for her loss. But I tell you the truth, God is faithful. If you only look at your circumstances, if you look at the world around you, it, it shouts at you that there's pain and there's disappointment and there's trouble, but actually in the middle of that trouble, God is faithful. And God doesn't shrink back from the bad things happening. He's not as scared of them. He's not afraid of them. And he doesn't go, you disappoint me because you've had tough times in your life. This is what God says to Israel, his nation, his people. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They will not sweep over you, he goes on to say. When you go through the tough times, I'll be there. I'll be walking with you. I'll be by your side. I'll carry you. I'll help you. And some of us can feel ashamed when difficult things are happening to us. We can think, why me? Why is this stuff happening to me? But actually, God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've not left you. But I want to just stop there and ask, is it enough? Is it true to say that the best is yet to come? Is it really true? Just ask the question. Because it might, it, it might be a great sermon, but is it actually true? Because I don't want to give you a false promise today. You see, I'm aware that there are a whole load of people who tell us that the best is yet to come. There are some people in America campaigning on the basis that they can bring the best that is yet to come. Two chaps here on your screen. One called Bernie, and he wants to be president, and he's telling the people that the best is yet to come if he's president, and one called Trump, or Donald if you prefer. I better not be too, I better not say anything else about this chap. The Pope's already had a comment to make just this last week, and I won't add to that. But he's got a hat on that says, make America great again. And his suggestion is that if the Americans vote for him, he'll do it. I don't want to appear like them, and I don't want to make God out like them, because he isn't. And it's not just over the pond. Our own politicians say the same thing to us. It's their campaign mantra. Tony Blair came into power with a song that had been used in his campaign trail by Dee Ream, I think it was. Uh, The song was, Things Can Only Get Better. And that was his campaign mantra. Things can only get better. David Cameron there campaigning and his, on his, in the back behind him it says, strong leadership, a clear economic plan, a brighter, more secure future. No politicians campaigning on the basis that things might get better but they'll probably get worse. No one's going to, are they? They're going to campaign on the basis that if you vote for me it'll get better. And, and the reality sometimes isn't all that. We've actually got quite short memories, all of us. Here are some pictures from... 1970 from different cities around the country in the UK of how bad things were, economic economic deprivation and the conditions people were living in back in 1970. It's not that long ago. It's quite a while ago, but it's not that long ago. And things have got better. These are from Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham and London. Things have got better, but they're not quite where we imagined they would be. They're not quite where we thought they would be going. But I want to tell you today that Jesus never makes false promises. Ever, ever, ever. He never makes false promises. I want to give you a promise from Jesus today. This is a promise from the Son of God. He says this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There was a time, I I guess it still happens, where uh, Christians used to have fridge magnets and verses placed on, on placards and things and bookmarks, and maybe you still got them. 
Maybe you've still got some. I've never yet seen somebody with the promise from John 16.33 on their fridge. In this world, you will have trouble. I've never visited a house and found that on a poster. Never found someone with a bookmark. Never found it on a sticker on the back of a car. In this world, you will have trouble. Nobody likes that, but it's a promise from Jesus. It's a promise that actually in this world, we will have trouble. It's true. And the word that's used for trouble there is the same word that's used elsewhere for the anguish of a woman going through childbirth. I haven't experienced childbirth, as you would know, as you would guess. But I'm told it's quite uncomfortable. I'm told it smarts a little. Now, my own wife isn't going to get me because she needed to have two C-sections. So, um, but she's been a midwife, so she knows what childbirth is like. Uh, it's painful. And Jesus uses that same word to say, in this world, you will have that. You will have that kind of pain, that kind of discomfort, that kind of anguish. And many of you know this. Going through things that you wouldn't have chosen, things that you don't understand. Rosemary as many of you know, is on her way today to go and work in Greece for a week to work with refugees from war-torn countries, many of whom wouldn't have chosen to have their countries ripped apart by war. But that's the situation they find themselves in. Is the best yet to come for them? Churches like ours are helping with the winter shelter this Uh, these months, uh, January through to March, to help people who are homeless and living on the streets. Can the best be yet to come for those guys? I believe it can be. I believe it can be for the refugees. I believe it can be if you're living with pain. I believe it can be if you're disappointed. I believe it can be if you thought things would be better by now. Why? Because of what Jesus goes on to say. That he has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. One of Jesus' own followers, Peter, writes this. And he's writing uh, this letter to the church, and in 17 different occasions he talks about suffering in this little letter. It's only five chapters, and this is one of Jesus' followers. And he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little time you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is Peter, one of Jesus' followers, a guy who would go on to give his own life for his faith. He would go on to be martyred, talking about the grief that his fellow Christians were suffering in all kinds of trials, and yet they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing and believing together that the best is still to come. Believing that they've got an inheritance that can never spoil or fade or be taken away. And they're also looking to what God is doing in their struggles right then and there. Not just a heavenly reward or reward in the next life, the eternal life, but a reward now as God strengthens them and works in them. Let me just get back to that verse for a moment. And I jokingly made a comment about childbirth. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And I think it's interesting for two reasons that he chooses that word. Because childbirth is not only painful, 
but it's also hopeful. Childbirth is not only painful, it's also hopeful. And Jesus' honest recognition that there is anguish and pain is pointing forward with hope and saying there is, there is something good to come. There is hope to come. There is an answer to come. There is good things to come. He's saying bad stuff happens. You will suffer. But I have overcome. Let's wrap things up by just going back to Haggai for a minute and taking uh, two more points quickly. The best is yet to come. Why? Because God keeps his word. I am with you, and this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, God is saying. And we painted a picture of a temple destroyed, and God speaking to these people. And he's reminding them on this moment of a promise he'd given over 700 years before. He's given them a promise 700 years ago, and he's saying, I've come, you've, when you come out of Egypt, I will be with you. And he's reminding them that he's not stopped being with them 700 years later. God fulfills his promise. And through this book, 40 authors, one and a half thousand years, they, these, were written, these books were written over, 66 books written by 40 people over one and a half thousand years, the same story rings out, that God is at work amongst people and that his word is true. He's faithful to what he promises. You still have God with you, no matter what's going on. And finally, the last bit of Haggai, the last promise. God, uh, the best days are yet to come. Why? Because God is doing a new thing amongst us, and so the best is still to come. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, I'll shake all nations, and what's desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house, the temple, with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. God is picking up there on the fact that all the treasures of the temple have been taken away. The articles, the artifacts, anything precious in the temple have been stolen. He's saying, it's okay. Silver was mine anyway. The gold's mine. I can give it back. I can give you more. I can give you abundantly. But more than that, my presence is coming. I'm going to fill this place with my glory. I'm coming. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. This passage is linking to something bigger that God is doing. I've chosen this passage on purpose because I think it shows us a tiny glimpse of what God did a long time ago. And by linking that with Jesus' promise to his disciples, we see what God can do for us today. That God is still restoring the whole of creation. That he's still renewing. That he's still at work. That he has overcome. And that the trouble we see and the brokenness we see and the pain we see, God is at work, not distant from it, but in the middle of it. Working with us. His presence with us. Working to bring about his purpose, working for a bigger story, a story of salvation, a story of healing, a story of forgiveness. And God invites us to play our part in his story. He invites us to play our part in overcoming the world. He invites us to play our part in what he's doing. I just want to encourage you 
to trust in God. If you are trusting today in the stock market, you're in trouble. If you're trusting today in your pension plan, you're in trouble. If you're trusting today in the value of your home, you're in trouble. If you're trusting in your relationships to give you security, you're in trouble. If you're trusting in your health to give you some assurance of what's to come, you're in trouble. Because none of those things are guaranteed. And if it was based on those things, none of us could promise that the best would be yet to come. But I tell you this, if you're trusting in God, the best is yet to come. If you're trusting in the one who will never let you down, who will never leave you, the best is yet to come. Because he's with you in difficult times. And he's promised life eternal. He's promised an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Where there's disappointment, I want to encourage you to look at it, to identify it, and take it to God. If you've run the race so far and you're saying, I didn't think I'd still be here, I thought I'd be further on, look at that emotion and take it to God and say, God, I'm disappointed. And let God deal with that. Let God renew you. Listen to what God would say to you. Listen to him reminding you that he's overcome the world and the best is still to come. When you're in need, remember that God is with you. Where you're struggling, remind yourself that what God is doing. He has overcome the world. He is calling us to follow him. And I believe he's called us to play our part. This is not just something God's doing, that we watch as spectators, but he's called each and every one of us in this building to play our part in ensuring that the best is still to come. He's invited us to come and be part of his kingdom. He's invited us to make a difference. We've been singing songs today that have reflected the fact that God wants to be at work in our lives. He wants to come in and have his way amongst us. And I believe all of that to be true. I believe that God's chosen to work through people like you and me to bring his message of hope and to bring hope to the people of this world. I could go back a few pictures and look at the politicians and I, I, I don't envy them. They've got a tough job to do. But realistically, if that's the only hope that people have, that a vote will make all the difference, we're lost. Really, it is. There are people buying lottery tickets today, or whenever, whatever day people buy lottery tickets, but the people buying lottery tickets hoping that that will be the answer to their life. I tell you, if that ticket's all we've got to hope in, we've got nothing, and we're lost. But I want to encourage you today, there is one who never leaves you, who has overcome, and who's reconciling all things. He's coming back, folks. And if you've experienced brokenness, he'll make it up to you. If you've experienced hurt, he'll make it up to you. Jesus was asked this by his disciples. What about those of us who've given up everything to follow you? And he said, I tell you, in this life you'll get loads more. You'll get it back. But in the age to come, you'll get a hundred times more. And he points them. He says to them, no matter what you've given up, there's more coming. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for us today. Because some of us have experienced brokenness and disappointment, and have questions. And Lord, I thank you that you don't shy away from those questions, but you enter in. You tell us, Lord, that the waters won't overwhelm us. Why? Because you'll be with us. Lord, I thank you that you don't shy away. You're not disappointed in us. But Lord, you come close. And Father, I thank you that where we've been disappointed or hurting, the best is still to come in you. 
Lord, where we're persecuted, the best is still to come. Lord, where we are full of hope and full of joy, the best is still to come. Where we're rejoicing in your goodness and we're delighting in your call, the best is still to come. And I pray, Lord, that we would have imprinted on our hearts today that truth, that in you, the best is yet to come. Why? Because you've overcome the world and you're calling us to play our part in building your kingdom. Lord, I pray for each person here, for those who have experienced disappointment but have no hope that they would find you today. That each person in that situation would say, God, I need your hope. I've been broken and I need you. I turn to you. Father, as we are in this moment of prayer, I pray for anybody in that situation that they would be able to turn to you today and say, God, I need you. Father, for those who have walked with you and know you. And I'm just wondering where things are going at the moment. I pray that you'd encourage them and bless them and build them up. And for each and every one of us, that we would carry the hope of the gospel and the confidence of your good news into this coming week. In Jesus' name.